Hello, welcome to the New River Church Podcast. We're so pleased to have you join us today. We hope that today's message uplifts and inspires you. If you would like to learn some more about New River Church and what we're all about, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. If you have your Bible with you, you head over to Acts 16. We're going to be there in a second. In uh, February, we will be going through the book of Luke, Lord willing. We'll be studying uh, for 13 weeks. We're going to be studying actually the hospitality of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is my kind of savior in that he is always eating in the book of Luke. And that's the kind of savior I want to follow, right? So um, he is the Messiah who invites us to his table. And that's, that's the heart of Luke that we're going to look at. And that's anyone, right? There's always room for one more at his table. And uh, that's the theme for our year. So that, that works together with the Gospel of Luke that we're going to be looking at. So in preparation of Luke, and then Covenant Sunday is coming up in a couple of weeks, I want to look at three examples this morning of the kind of people Jesus welcomes around his table. But before I do that, I want to ask you a question. How many times have you heard this? That when you, uh, let's say you share your, the gospel or you share your testimony to somebody, they say this, that's good for you. I'm glad it works for you. And then, you know, that it's not my thing, right? They are, they are implying that because it works for you, it's true for you. But because it doesn't work for them, it's not true for them. They're saying there's no faith that it's going to work for everybody. How many of you have ever heard people say that when you, yeah. So, or have you done this? I've, I've done this way too many times. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, but I have. You look at somebody and the Spirit's like, go talk to them. Go share your story with them. Go share the gospel with them. And then you size them up. You, you, uh, he doesn't look that open, Lord, right? Um... Look at that, 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 that strange hair. Um, are, there, are those piercings? Uh, look at her hijab. That's a, that's a, what is that? What's that on that necklace? Is that Satan on there? Uh, right? Oh, she looks, oh, she looks really busy, Lord. Uh, it definitely won't be open. Maybe another time. Lord, bring, her, bring somebody else. Lord, bring somebody else. Right? You ever size people up like that? Uh, you feel the anxiety of people potentially rejecting you. It's coupled with feelings of inadequacy that you're going to just mess this up. And you just picture Christ just shaking his head. And if he could text you, he would send you the facepalm emoji. And you're just, see, when we do that, right, what we're saying is, we're saying the same thing what people say, which is Christianity works for some types of people. There must be a certain type of person for whom Christianity works. But that's not how the Bible presents Christianity. The best word in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. See, the first question is not if it works for me. The first question is, is it true? The real question is not if it works, but if it's true. Because if it's true, 
it will work for you. The gospel can save anyone. So we don't need to size people up for God, but we size God up to people. And if you have a God that's big enough, he can save anyone. And I want to show you that here, how God did that with one church that got started, planted in the book of Acts, the church at Philippi, which is a city in modern-day Greece. Paul's going to write a letter to these people called the Philippians. And so we're going to look at that in Acts 16. Dr. Luke wrote Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke. This is almost like the Gospel of Luke 2, all right, when we look at the book of Acts. Acts 16. Today we're going to meet three individuals. They are as different as different can be. And yet, the Gospel hits them in different ways and changes them. Because God can save anyone, and anyone is welcome at his table. There's nothing more rich, more diverse, more flexible to change a soul like the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the the question I'm asking and I'm answering, the big idea for today is this. Why is there nothing like the gospel? Because the gospel is so rich and dynamic in power, it can transform anyone into a disciple. It's so rich and dynamic in power, it can transform anyone into a disciple. I'm going to show that to you in Acts 16, uh, 11 to 40. We're not going to read the whole thing right now. We're going to just walk through the passage together and read it together and, and pick stuff out as we go. The book of Acts, by the way, it's a great study on Christianity working for all different kinds of people because it's true. Yeah. So let's look at the life-changing power of the gospel. There's three people. The first person is a religious person. The first thought is this. The gospel can cha- save the religious, verses 11 to 15. So let's uh, jump in with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, uh, Acts 16, 11. This is Paul's uh, second missionary journey. So setting from sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. That's where we're at which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. So before it was called Greece, it was called Macedonia, uh, and the Romans occupied it, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. All right, so this is the map. If you want to put the map up, if you could see the, uh, I don't know if you could see that, Philippi all the way over there. That's Paul's missionary, second missionary journey. He's got some, some guys with him. Acts 15 to 18 is the second missionary journey. He's got a team of folks. Silas is with him. A guy named Timothy is with him. And then Luke, the guy who wrote Acts, because we'll see him talking about uh, sharing the story using we and us. So he's there. So these guys are in Philippi. And the gospel right now is about to come to Europe for the first time. That's what we're reading. Okay. We remain in the city for some days. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day... We went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So Paul's, the way he goes about sharing the gospel and starting churches is that he would arrive at a city and then he would go straight, make a beeline for his own people, the Jews. Uh, At Philippi, however, there does not seem to be a regular synagogue. You needed 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. So it doesn't seem like that's the case here. So instead, he, there's a small group, and they're sitting down together. 
having Bible study, and it was all women. Either they, these women were Jews by birth, or they're Gentile women who worship the God of Israel. And Paul and his gang, they go over there and share the gospel. Verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So as they're, as they're sharing the gospel, one woman seems particularly interested. What do we know about her? Her name's Lydia. She owned her own business. She's a businesswoman. She sold purple goods. The purple dye is extremely expensive. Only the upper crust wealthy folk could afford purple. Emperors would wear it. Wear it. So in other words, she sold beautiful, expensive clothes to rich people. She's a fashionista. <laughs> this means she was well-to-do. So think CEO of a fashion empire. She is from Thyatira, which is actually in Asia, which would be today modern-day Turkey. She is a worshiper of God, which means she left paganism as a Gentile. And uh, she used to worship a bunch of gods. And then one day, somehow, we don't know, she decided to follow the Jewish God, one God. She's got high morals. She's got high integrity. She's upper class, center of society, religious woman. How does the gospel come to her? How does she hear about Jesus? It comes through a sit-down, small group, Bible study, discussion, and her heart, the word listening there, is that it's gripped by the gospel. And the Lord, I love that, the Lord opened her heart. That's, by the way, that is all ministry is. Our job is we show up and we share, but who does the opening? God does the heart opening. Paul proclaims Christ to this religious woman. And then what happens? Verse 15. She believes, verse 15, and after she was baptized, she and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So instantly, Instantly, she comes to know the Lord. She gets baptized. She wants to serve God with what God's given her. She opens up her home. So we're not sure, but she seems to be the head of her household. Uh, she might be single or widowed, maybe divorced. We don't know. She's definitely, uh, she's got servants. Uh, maybe her kids are there. Paul and the team go to her house and share the gospel there. People come to know the Lord there, and they get baptized there. The gospel has come to Europe, how? Through Middle Eastern men sharing the gospel to an upper-class Asian businesswoman. The gospel saves religious people. Now, how many of you would say, yes, that, that was me. I was at a church service. I was at a Bible study. I was at a life group. I was at children's ministry, Awana. I had a Christian parent, and that's how I came to know Christ. Raise your hand. That was you. All right. Let me encourage you. There are no boring testimonies. That's your story, right? Every testimony is miraculous. You don't need to have been part of the mafia and all this other stuff to, you know, to, I don't have anything glamorous. You have a glamorous, amazing, magnificent God that saved you. God is amazing to save you, period. And I'm sure if I sat with you, 
and you, you would share your testimony since you came to faith when you were six or whenever, there would be plenty of ups and downs. His kindness to you and his grace to you has been so amazing because you're still here. So that's why your testimony is amazing. But I want to share three quick lessons here from this, this Lydia encounter that Paul has. First of all, moralism is not Christianity. You're, because we're, the gospel came to the religious. Wait, isn't that the same thing? No, it's not the same thing. Many people think more, being moral is what being Christian means. Like, Religion says my identity is built on me being a good person, right? I'm nice to people. I pay taxes. I work hard. I'm a family man. I'm a family woman. I go to church or I watch online services. I help with food share, uh, God-fearing. So I'm good. And I was one of them. All good things. But it's not enough to bring you to heaven, right? Our good deeds will not bring you to heaven. James says if you've broken one of the Ten Commandments, you've broken them all. God doesn't grade on if you're the good in your life outweighs the bad in your life. And how do you even measure that, right? It's not, it isn't grade on a curve. It's pass or fail. And we have all gotten F's because we've broken one of the Ten Commandments. And so we all deserve the penalty of death. So we all got an F. But Jesus Christ, who's the only one who's gotten an A, says, give me that F and I'll give you my A when you believe in him. That's it. That's it. So it's not religion. It's relationship with Jesus where you've turned from your sin. He's come into your heart. He's forgiven you. So religion says my identity is built on me being a good person. The gospel says my identity is built not on my goodness or my performance, but Christ. A.W. Tozer said the only sin Jesus ever had was ours. And the only righteousness we could ever have is Christ's. The Bible says Jesus died for our sins and whoever believes, even God-fearing, moral, religious people like Lydia can have eternal life. She needed to come to know Jesus. And uh, so does every other person who's moral, written religious, needs to know Jesus. So moralism is not Christianity. Second lesson here is our homes are ministry centers. <clears throat> Look down at verse 40. So later, Paul and Silas get into prison. They get out. At the end of the chapter... They get out of prison, and then they visited Lydia, right? Her house. That's how the church started. The Philippian church starts at this lady's house. And I, I can relate to that. I got saved, and I have grown in my faith all at, through a house church for many, many years in New York. And one of the greatest blessings here at New River is that so many of you have opened up your home for ministry. And I love that about you. So many of you life group leaders, so many of you have regularly, you've opened up your house to bless others. Praise God for you. Have you ever thought that your home is that? Make it a ministry center, Lord. Have you ever prayed that? Even if you're like, I only got a chair around my table. Yes, one more person can sit there. One more person. I don't need a gourmet meal. Just a cup of water and conversation. Lord, Use my house as a ministry center. Okay, so that's second lesson. Thirdly, we learn here that women are vital in ministry. Amen? Paul is not a woman hater. Maybe the old Paul was. The old Paul would have prayed every day, thanking God he wasn't a woman. The new Paul, notice, 
doesn't run the other way when he sees a bunch of women gathering studying the Bible. Uh, Lydia's open-hearted generosity, her humility, her hospitality, so, so commendable. And I want to commend you sisters. I've only been here a few months, but I'm blown away by who you are and what you bring to this church. Amen. Um, We could not be here without you. And what you bring to New River, regardless of your age or your station in life, you are vital, vital to this church. Uh, The gospel is so rich and dynamic in power, it can redeem and transform anyone into a disciple, even wealthy, independent, upper-class, moral, religious, Asian businesswomen at a Bible study. But that's not all. Watch what the Lord does next. Secondly, the gospel saves the religious. The gospel can save the irreligious too. Okay, let's let's walk through the next section here. Verse 16. As we're going to the place of prayer, so they loved going out to try to find uh, places to pray. We were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So now we're going to meet another person, a demon-possessed slave girl. She must be 10 to 14 years old, just a kid. The word owner, she got owners. That suggests her parents probably sold her, rejected her. We don't really know. She's a slave. She also has, uh, she fortune tells. So her predictions come true. Some kind of clairvoyant psychic. And she's demon possessed. It literally says in the Greek there, she had the spirit of Python. Now, According to myth, Python was a snake that guarded the temple of Apollo. And later, that word python came to be uh, associated with demon-possessed people through whom python spoke. So there's all kinds of stuff going on here with this, with this little girl. She's making involuntary noises. She's shrieking. She's crying out. She's predicting the future. And she's got pimps who are making money from, from it. By the way, don't assume, okay, all that psychic stuff, horoscopes, palm reading, Ouija boards, all that stuff. That all of them are fake. Most of them are probably scams, but some of them, some of that stuff's demonic. Don't just don't mess with it. Just don't mess with it. Okay. Verse seventeen. Anyway, she sees Paul and the gang going around sharing the gospel, and she's following them along, and she's shrieking at them, and then advertising them as ministers of God. Demons are doing evangelism right here. Demons have right can have right theology. Satan can memorize scripture. None of that means anything unless your life has been changed by the gospel. But look, she's very different than Lydia. Wouldn't you say a little different, right? Um, today, we might picture her for lack of a better comparison. She, this little girl is a, it's like for in our age, again, lack of a better comparison, a drug addicted prostitute exploited by a pimp living in a crack house somewhere. Uh, we saw Sound of Freedom recently. Great film about rescuing trafficked kids. It just completely broke my heart. Um, it's, it hap- it's going on today, right? At verse 18. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, uh, this is why I love the Bible. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. <laughs> did, you, did you know that was in there? <laughs> 
said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. This is why the Bible isn't made up. Right? One preacher says it doesn't say, Paul, full of great compassion. Paul tearfully and tenderly stroked her hair and said, daughter of Eve. No, <laughs> Paul was peeved. He was Listen, do not romanticize the biblical characters, all right? They were all human, like you and me, with the same extraordinary uh, God, okay? That's it. We got the same struggles and issues, and he, Paul gets annoyed. And, and there's another place in Acts where he smacks the high priest. I love it. All right. Anyway, he had to ask for forgiveness. All right? Don't romanticize them. But look how the gospel comes to this little girl. Lydia needed Bible study. This girl needed a power encounter. She needed a new master who can break through her slavery. Right? And notice Paul, he's, the point is this, he's calling on the name of Jesus Christ. In essence, he's saying, Jesus, your name's greater than Python. And Jesus, your power is greater than the power of Python. And Luke doesn't say it overtly, but I believe this girl then came to Christ too. Now, some of us, you can't relate to Lydia. You look at Lydia and you're like, I wish I had that story. But for us, some of us, Jesus found us dark, in a dark place, darker place than a Bible study. In the middle of the darkest things, maybe even in drugs and alcohol, sexual depravity, where we treated ourselves cheaply. Many of us sitting here, whether by our own steps or others forcing it on us through manipulation, being taken advantage of, exploited, abused, and you ended up in deep darkness, addicted, busted up, and under the power of the enemy? Maybe that's you even right now. But the good news, loved ones, that the Jesus before you, no matter how deep that darkness was, how awful that person, that spouse, that caretaker, that parent, that relative or pastor who abused you, that, that took the, abused their power in your life and diminished you and made you small like you didn't matter. The Jesus in front of you this morning not only saves wealthy, well-known, business-savvy Lydia's quietly in a Bible study, he also steps right into the worst of spaces and situations and saves enslaved, trapped, dismissed, downtrodden, and abused little girls too. Right? The name of Jesus is beautiful enough for Lydia's. It is powerful enough for demon-possessed little girls too. And look at this little girl's life today, blessing you and me. Right? How many of you say, can say that's your story? In the middle of my addiction, in the middle of my despair, in the middle of my darkness, Jesus Christ stepped into my mess and rescued me. That's your story. Or maybe you started as Lydia and you ended up like this little girl. And I pray for you, that's your story. That Jesus is saving power in your life and whatever you went through, it will be someone else's survival guide. To paraphrase Brené Brown. Someone else's survival guide. The gospel is so rich and dynamic in power, it can transform anyone into a disciple, independent, wealthy, moral, Asian businesswoman at a Bible study, and also downtrodden spiritually and socially oppressed teenage girls through a power encounter. Gospel is so rich and dynamic in power, it can redeem anyone, religious, 
irreligious. Now, if you're like, well, what if I'm neither? The gospel can save you too, right? The last point is this. The gospel can save anyone else in between. You're not religious, you're not ir- irreligious. You can, if you're in the middle, gospel can save anyone. Look at verses 20 to 40. So anyway, we're, we're going to, this is the longer section. I'm going to summarize this. So this, this little girl gets delivered. Her pimps get angry, understandably, understandably, because their income was over. They incite a riot, and then they beat up Paul and Silas. And you can see a picture of the prison. We actually have the ruins uh, at Philippi. That is actually the jail where Paul was imprisoned. And then notice what happens here. The, the crowd attacks them. They're beaten, verse 22. Verse 23, they had inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them into prison and they put them in charge, uh, put the jailer in charge to keep them safely. Having received the order, he puts them in an inner prison, verse 24, and fastened their feet in stock. So here's the inner cell. The prison guard in charge puts them in the inner prison. The inner prison was reserved for the lowest of the low. Human waste would flow downhill into this inner prison. Their legs are in stocks, it says. The stocks had more than two holes for the legs. So it's not, it's not just security here. That it could be, The legs could be forced apart in such a way to cause utmost discomfort and cramping pain. So it's not security purposes. It's torture right here. So verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were not sleeping. Obviously, how are you going to sleep when you're in that situation? Because they can't. They've been beaten up. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. See, when the gospel fills your heart, you're not a slave to any circumstance. You're the freest person on the planet here. And in the middle of this, we're going to meet our third person, this prison guard, the Philippian jailer. So what do we know about him? Well, most likely, uh, he was ex-military, so he's a, a retired soldier. So when you retired, your pension was to get this kind of civil service job. So as a soldier, he would have been a very good jailer. He knew about weapons, defense, keeping people prisoner. He's, the, he's a blue-collar guy just doing his job. Right? He's... We don't read that he's searching for God like Lydia. We don't read that he's spiritually distraught and turmoil like the slave girl. We don't read anything. He's just indifferent. Love God, hate God. (laughs) He's not up at night reading theology like Lydia. He's not troubled like the slave girl. Just a retired soldier, blue collar. Jailer Joe. Works at the city prison. Right? You know who this guy is? This, This is the guy sitting on the couch, drinking a beer, watching the Patriots game. Next year. Next year, guys. Sorry about that. He'll be watching it next year. Okay. So what happens? Verse 25. In the midst of suffering, he sees incredible peace and joy. These men are in pain, but they're singing, right? Listening, meaning they were fascinated, paying very close attention. See, how we respond to adversity is a powerful witness to a watching world. If Paul and Silas knew it, right? If they knew this hymn, I... They probably would have sang, he breaks the power of cancel sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. Whatever they're singing, they're singing these hymns. The jailer is listening, and then he falls asleep. 
Verse 26. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. All the doors fly open. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. All the doors were open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. All of a sudden, there's an earthquake. Doors flying open. Verse 27. The jailer wakes up, obviously, and he saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword. He's about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So the jailer wakes up, and he's like, what in the world? My life is over. I shared this passage with our friend here, uh, Babushe, who's a former prison guard, and he said, yeah, if he had a union contract, he would have been protected. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Um, so he decides to kill himself. Why? Because the penalty of losing prisoners was death. And he, was, he wasn't going to face that kind of shame in that society. But Paul's noticing, watching all this. Verse 28. Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Verse 29. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul. And Silas. I love Paul's heart here. The circumstances said, escape. But love said, no, stay. Why? One more soul. They were not guided by circumstances. Love compelled. So he says, no worries, bro. We're all here. Jailer can't believe it. Calls for the lights. Sees that they were right. They should have walked out. They were treated unfairly. Not only did they not leave, they keep all the prisoners there. The gospel through Paul shows him something else here, kindness in the face of cruelty. He was unnecessarily cruel to them, put them in this inner prison, fastened their feet in these stocks, and when they had the opportunity to get him and ruin his life, they didn't take it like Andy Dufresne did in Shawshank Redemption. Favorite movie. But they treated merciless, the merciless with mercy, the unkind with kindness. They forgave him. And I don't know, what was greater power to him? God in the earthquake or God giving these persecuted suffering believers power to forgive him? So in verse 30, he falls down. And he says this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's a man of action. If he's going to get salvation, he's going to earn it. What must I do? And Paul says, what should you do? It's not what you should do. Verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Brother, it is not what you need to do. It is to believe in what Jesus has done for you. And this gospel, whether you're weak or strong, poor or rich, what you did and didn't do, you just believe. And if your household believes, they too can receive this salvation. Anyone can be saved if you and your whole family too, if they believe. And so then verse 32, uh, he took them to their, in the same hour of the night. Look at, look at him now. Washed their wounds. He was baptized at once. He and his whole family, they believed. And he brought them up into his house. You see a theme here. Lydia opening up her house. When the gospel opens your heart, your house and your hands also open. And your house is open, and he sets food before them. Wow. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Wow. His family hears, believes, they get baptized. Amazing. See, listen, the gospel is so rich and dynamic in power. It can transform anyone into a disciple. Independent, wealthy, moral, Asian businesswoman at a Bible study. Nameless, emotional, spiritually oppressed, abused teenager through a dynamic spiritual encounter. And indifferent 
blue-collar, regular Joes through acts of mercy and grace. See, a Bible study wouldn't do probably for a jailer Joe. Emotional appeal wouldn't do. He sees the gospel lived out, and it wins him. Listen, the, the Jewish man would pray like this every day. Lord, I thank you that you didn't make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. I have the better gender, I have the better social class, and I have the better race. But look what God does to build this church. God has the audacity to build his church with Lydia, a woman, a slave girl, and a Gentile jailer. See what God, see what God does here? In verse 40, I bet you they're all hanging out. All three representatives of these three despised categories sitting together, redeemed in Christ, hanging out at Lydia's house. I can picture Lydia there, the woman, the slave girl, the jailer, all there for fellowship, worshiping together. They're now family. This is the beginning of the Philippian church. How can you explain that? The gospel, the gospel. Imagine if these, women, these people were part of the servant team of the church. Can you imagine that? I can imagine them working through all kinds of issues. <clears throat> the jailer is like, I really think we should start a prison ministry. And the slave girl is like, I got a really big heart for the trafficked folks. And Lydia's like, that's all great, but we got to make sure we're in the word. Bible study, we need more life groups. Right? Uh, uh, worship, I bet you they had to work through all kinds of stuff. I could see Lydia being like, I love, I love the hymns. And I could see the slave girl saying, no, I like the more modern stuff, you know? It's more, more emotional and stuff like that. And, and the jailer is like, I don't, whatever works for, whatever, whatever you guys want. <laughs> it's just indifferent, right? I'm just going to go work on the lights and the, make sure the sound works. <laughs> All kinds of stuff they would have to work on in community. Philippian church goes on to become a wonderful church. It's one of the few churches that actually receives a letter from Paul, not because of a really big problem or rebuke, Paul just thanks them because they're so generous in the partnership in the gospel with them. So look, let's look at the, let's look at all, let's put the differences up here. Is it up? There we go. You see the differences? A woman, a child, a man. Uh, Lydia, upper class, wealthy woman. Slave girl, lower class. The jailer, middle class. L Lydia, religious and open. Slave girl, demonically hostile. Jailer, indifferent. Lydia, immigrant from Asia Minor. Slave girl, most likely Greek. Jailer, most likely Roman. One saved by Bible study. Another saved through deliverance ministry. Another saved through practical love. There is nothing more powerful, unifying than the gospel. And so, there is no Christian type. If you are talking to a non-Christian no matter who that person is, you can have hope for that person. We should never, ever in a million years look at somebody and say, you're not the Christian type. Because guess what? I'm not the Christian type. And you're not either. Right? There are 800 million people today in the country of my birth that are bowing down to a piece of stone this morning. And I should have been one of them. Jesus came and he saved me. Why? Grace alone. Grace alone. I'm not the type. I'm not the type. 
You think God saved you because you were cute? He loved your sweet personality? No. All saved by grace. We are not the type. So don't you give up hope for your loved one this morning that does not know him. My prayer is that as people walk into this church and see people with all kinds of different backgrounds, whether racial or socioeconomic, denomination or personality, they would ask the question, what are all these people doing together? And the only explanation is Jesus. You belong because Jesus welcomes you. I'll close with this. D.A. Carson said, the church is not actually made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs. Christians come together not because they form a natural association, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and they owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they've been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says and he commands them to love one another. And in this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Listen, you have a Jesus beautiful enough for a Lydia's. You have a Jesus powerful enough for a slave girl. And you have Jesus practical enough for a jailer. You know what that means? He's sufficient for you. Thanks for listening. That wraps up today's word. We are grateful you joined in. And if you would like to hear more or learn more about us, feel free to check things out over at newriverchurch.org.